Well, this is actually episode 12. We took a little hiatus. Yeah, so if everybody's ready. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, I Chris took a hiatus. Is not ready. I'm not ready. I just knocked. <laughs> <laughs> We're back. Nice. So Instagram Live people, so you understand what in the world is happening right now. We're doing a podcast recording on Skype on desktop. We're just giving you a chance to see it live in action. That's why you get to see the behind the scenes and all the, the craziness. So that's why we're not looking at you too. We're focused over here. But if you happen to have any questions or something that you want to say, do it. We'll try to pump it in here. Yes, please do. Yeah, we're, we're super unprepared. No, we got, we got plenty of questions. <laughs> um, yeah, so funny enough, this is episode 12. Chris and I took basically a month and a half hiatus. Uh, mostly me, mostly on my end. I just got so swamped that I had to let something slide a little bit. And sure. um, unfortunately, it was. Uh, it just happened to be this. I feel like next semester, it would be um, other things because there's just a little less going on. But um, yeah, episode 12 of... Uh, Tacit Thoughts Percussion Podcast. I'm almost forgetting the name of what we do here. Uh, but we got a cool guest on who is obviously, we'll just introduce him even though he's kind of, people know who he is and he's kind of almost introduced himself and set up this whole nice Facebook Live slash <laughs> Skype slash other Facebook. No, it's good. I'm glad to I'm glad to know how to do this now. I feel like I'd like to do this again. Uh, so he is from Contemporary Chamber Music to the Traditions of Pageantry Arts percussion artist and pedagogue doctor that's right doctor in the house brandon arve has appeared in some of the most visible venues in his profession having toured throughout the u.s and asia he holds degrees from university of south carolina colorado state university with his master's which is where chris actually got his master's as well and he got his dma at uk kentucky uh, currently percussion instructor at central kentucky youth orchestras he's also section percussionist with the lexington philharmonic staff percussion arranger for 16 Parks Music, member of the Arve Young Love duo. I've actually seen a couple of y'all's videos pop up here and there. PR manager for Global Premier Consortium Commissioning Project. Finally know who's behind it now. Okay, good. I'm glad. <laughs> and founder and CEO of Arve Media. Uh, he has quite an eclectic background. Brandon has taught chamber music, percussion rep, percussion pedagogy and literature, and marching percussion at every level. Uh, Brandon's teaching honors include a gold medal with Palmetto Percussion at the 2010 WGI Championships and numerous higher percussion awards. He's been a resident instructor at Wayne State University and the University of North Carolina Pembroke. Uh, he regularly presents lectures and workshops throughout the U.S. He has numerous appearances as guests on the At Percussion podcast. Brandon and I actually met. Uh, we That's were both we kind met. of yeah. yeah, kind of co-hosts yeah. at the same time with um, can't remember who it was. It might have been Brian Nosny. Um, no, I think it was Brad Meyer. That was it. Yeah, it was totally It was Brad. the first one that we did the co-host thing. That's not yeah, we, that's but right. it's not my podcast. But the first time that they did a co-host thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as well as Pete's Percussion Podcast. And he's a contributing author to the PAS Educators Companion, Bluegrass Music News, Dancer, and serves on the PAS Ed Committee. Uh, as a performer, he's appeared at PASIC, Midwest, uh, ABA, College CBDNA, the International Saxophone Symposium, and state MEA conf uh, conventions. His travels, he's performed throughout China. That's pretty cool. Was featured on China's, China Central Television. He's also collaborated with some of the world's most recognized and respected performers um, and conductors and composers. Quite a long list. If you want to read them, go to brandonarve.com. It's a very good 
uh, including, uh, hey, Nathan Daughtry, a friend of the show, and Belginger Sekon as well. Uh, Brandon has been featured guest and frequent co-host on the hit at Percussion Podcast. Commission works from Belginger Sekon, Eric Wobble, Steve Snowden, Joe W. Moore, and Stephen Gorbos, and has played on a wide range of audio recordings, including the Ignite series. Uh, that's our buddies over at C. Allen, Collective Percussion Ensemble, Maiden from Classical Heritage Foundation, and the UK Percussion Ensemble, as well as a self-titled album uh, by the rock group Von Voigt. So he is a Yamaha performing artist, an endorser of Innovative Percussion and Grover Pro Percussion, and is a member of De Dario Education Collective. So yes, please welcome uh, Brandon Arve, who might have the most legit... <laughs> The most legitimate looking website. If you haven't been to brandonarve.com, I was, I was shocked to say the least. I was just like, <laughs> I, I thought it. I thought I clicked on the wrong one, and it took me to like some other business or something. I was just like, oh, sh- <laughs> oh no, oh crap, no, this is just Brandon's. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah, looking, I don't even know when I started that. Probably in like 2009, 2008, somewhere in there, and I just knew what a stock website looked like, and I didn't want to look like that. And so I just, you know, I I didn't want to start it until I could find something that was kind of unique. So uh, that's why it looks the way it does. It could probably use some updating. But I don't know. If you're into it, maybe it's it still has some life in that format. But I appreciate the uh, the kind intro there. Yeah, it's, maybe yeah, it's the too site's long. good. <laughs> I, I feel like that anytime somebody reads my bio, or Cameron Leach mentioned this as well, is like having your bio read to you, it feels like. It's like that performance thing where you think the time, like you waited a long time after a piece before you broke, but it's actually like two seconds. Right. I feel like it's not as long as you think it is, but it's uh, it feels that way. Yeah. Yeah. Your site's got a lot of man. Yeah. Your posts have like views in like the thousands. That's good. Yeah. It's probably all Russian bots. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just I'm just gonna assume it's all percussionists and and future educators and performers. Let's so assume that. That's good. <laughs> That's good man. So uh, what have you been up to? Uh, of- man, so as of late, really the last few years has just been a lot of marketing and PR kind of stuff, as you can see in there. Um, really, that kind of stems from a, a multi-year conversation sort of with myself and my wife and all that kind of stuff of just like, you know, what does the future hold and what do we, wh- where do we want to be? What do I want, truly want to do? You know, cause I started college in 2005 as an undergrad and, you know, it's what, 13 years later, almost 14 years later. So I've evolved and the world has evolved and the industry's evolved. So putting all that together, like just where am I? And, um, anyway, just, you know, the college thing, uh, I've done for a few years, but it's just not really the thing that I really want to do at this point, at least not where I'm at in the moment, which is like, I don't want to go to the middle of nowhere to go teach for X number of years, probably at some sort of like adjunct level, get paid six grand a year to do that. And I have to like fight and scrap to put food on the table just for myself, let alone, you know, a wife and a, a child. So <laughs> that's, um, yeah, that's just not a game I, I'm interested in playing at the moment. And plus, you know, since I started doing some of the marketing things a, a number of years ago, it's, it's really, um, it's not too left field, I don't think, for music. I think there's a lot of creativity that's in there. You know, when a, if you're talking about taking a photo or making a video or trying to storytell, you know, I think that's all artistic. So it's 
it's still feeding off of all the things that I enjoy about music. And, um, you know, it's just, it's kind of been refreshing to do something new and slightly different. Um, I mean, as far as the marketing thing goes right now, I've been doing a lot of retail kind of stuff, but also a consultant for a number of music organizations working right now with, uh, a notable percussion products company. And, um, I think we're going to, in the new years, maybe sign something or do something where I can do a lot of work with them in the background. So, um, anyway, just, uh, you know, I stayed a little bit away from music at first just to kind of understand the market and that kind of thing, and then kind of swing it back towards it. So now I'm at that point where I'm trying to do a lot more within music. So maybe that's like like the long winded version of that. (laughs) No, it's good. Uh, because you have a job right now that, you're not always involved with music that you appreciate like playing and teaching more when you come back to it. Yeah. Um, you know, whenever you're in it, there's a lot that's, that's the same. It feels like you feel like student to student, you're often making similar comments or almost literally the same comments, uh, day to day. It can seem like very slow progress, you know, whenever you're in the trenches, but whenever you step back and then you get to come in from time to time and a more irregular kind of pattern, um, there's just something a little bit more interesting to me in that, if that kind of makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you spend 10, 11 years in college, like I did banging your head against the wall, like practicing 12 hours a day. Um, you know, it's, it's different. You know, it's just different whenever you spend most of your life. I'm 31 years old right now, and I graduated when I was 27, 27, 28, somewhere in there. So I still have spent the vast majority of my life as a student, you know, so still trying to get my baby giraffe legs under me as far as like being out in the world and kind of understanding everything. So but I think that's kind of the interesting thing, too, is like being able to talk to individual musicians about marketing themselves or how to get gigs or whatever, or a music products company and how do you influence people and like, how do you increase sales? Um, I feel like I'm still, because I'm still so young, I can bring those thoughts and those memories and be like, yeah, you know what made, what was I thinking as a student? And I can bring that to these conversations. And I think that's been pretty useful. Yeah, that's cool. I feel like if somebody would have said, I'm going to try to make a career or make a large portion of my career based solely off of like social media and retail and promotion inside of the music world. Like, eh, like 10 years ago, everybody would have just kind of shunned it. But now mm-hmm. it's becoming more of a, uh, more of a thing, even with like PAS, like they said, you know, they hired Josh Simmons and it's just like, yeah, it's nice to have like, not a businessman, but somebody that knows the workings running the show uh, behind the scenes. Yeah, um, I think it's more important than ever in a lot of ways right now that individual musicians or nonprofit organizations within music or products companies or college studios or private instructors or band directors at a high school, that all these people understand what social media can actually do for you. Um you know, there's just there's a lot of factors uh, why that why I think it might be an important thing for people. But uh, some of it is, you know, we're seeing more and more threats to uh, the finances of the arts in schools and stuff like that. You know, oftentimes the very first place that a budget cut happens is 
in a school band program or something like that. Um, the world continues to spin around us whether we want it to or not. And oftentimes when we're in an institution of four walls, we have our head down and we're kind of, you know, insulated from things. But, you know, we often forget that the music that we're doing right now, uh, like classical music, every second that the world is spinning is getting older and in a lot of ways less relevant to the people around us, to our neighbors, you know. Um, you know, orchestras are talking about, well, how do we get more butts in the seats to attend our stuff? We see it all the time um, where you're doing more pop stuff than you're doing more traditional classical kind of repertoire. So, um, you know, we see it all around us, whether we recognize it like actively or not. Um, but yeah, marketing yourself to be able to get gigs, I think is really kind of an important thing. It's not even just to get gigs, but it's to fundraise. It's to make sales. If you're a composer, maybe Maybe if you're a teacher, it's to get more students. You know, there's all sorts of reasons why this stuff can be important to you as a musician. Uh-oh, we lost Caleb. I think, uh... <laughs> okay, we lost I hit you. The there you I are. Hit, I hit the mute button. <laughs> there you uh, are. So people wouldn't hear me typing away. Yeah, okay, that's good. Talking about sales. Okay, it's almost holiday season. All right, regardless of which holiday you participate or if you participate in none, Go to CalebPickering.com. Buy four. If everyone in the percussion world buys four pieces, then um, I'll retire for about three years. Yeah. This sounds like something I heard recently on the news. (laughs) Oh, yeah? (laughs) But about some wall or something. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, speaking of holidays, um, I saw you posted this. It was probably like two weeks ago. And I've seen Uh Uh-oh maybe 30 i've probably seen it i would say 20 to 30 times be posted and we all know what i was talking about it's the picture of like um it's not first act it's someone saying like don't you shouldn't purchase these you know these are not instruments etc 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 yeah that's Um, been a a fun conversation with people yeah, I have such mixed opinion like I'm very on the fence like I feel like I have a foot in all camps on this one um, but yeah, can you just share your thoughts um, if you if you feel yeah. like it? You know. No, absolutely. I kind of feel the same way. Um, I think my initial reaction when I saw the post was, what's the problem with having more people with an instrument in their hand? Like, why is that a bad thing? Um, especially with the conversation we just we just had about funding being cut. The music we're doing is often perceived as old. Um, trying to influence people to use instruments that they don't hear in the music they live, they listen to on an average day. Um, you know, so what's wrong with making those things affordable, even if they're a lesser quality? You know, it's almost like casting a wider net, not a deeper one. Wider meaning make it cheap and affordable so that people at any price point can get it in their hand. Um, so <laughs> what? <laughs> what did that say? Oh, sorry. I think your Instagram went down. Oh, I don't know. It says we're still up. Oh, okay, we're good. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, (laughs) so the covering. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, that's right. Um, but yeah, you know, the other part, I kind of feel like you. I see all different sides of this. Uh, by putting the the inexpensive instruments out there, you're influencing the kids that are going to be in band, whether they see the cheap instrument or not. You're influencing them to pick up the cheap one because it is cheap. Uh, parents 
you know, there's all sorts of stuff going on right now, uh, politically and financially and with stock market and people's personal finances and everything else uh, that persuade people to, to do certain purchase behaviors. And, um, you know, everybody wants to save a buck. I, it's so ridiculous. Like I had a yard sale earlier this year and something's a nickel and somebody's like, I'll give you a dot or I'll give you a penny. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like it's, it's a nickel. Like, like literally everything is just a barter at the moment. And so when you talk about an instrument, that's, uh, I don't know, uh, a bell kit, a bell set is what, like 300 bucks from like Vic Firth, like those starter things or something. Yeah, the complete pack. Yeah, but if you could go to Walmart and you see one for 75 bucks or like whatever they are, you know, to a parent that's uh, uninformed um, and doesn't really know the difference, um, you know, sure, they're going to pick up the cheaper thing. And it's not like the bell kit from some of these companies and the snare drum that comes with it is much better. You know what I mean? But I can understand it, you know. It wasn't a percussion question. Like the photo was of trumpets and clarinets and things. Um, you know, and yeah, obviously you get what you pay for. If you buy a crappy instrument, you're going to have a really hard time producing a tone, uh, because it's, it might not be, uh, you know, specifically created to be acoustically great. It's just created to get in a kid's hand, you know? So anyway, uh, don't want to go too far into that, but yeah, I mean, I, I see a number of reasons why it could be good. Like I said, you wrap it up. It's like to make it cheap, you get it in more hands. But because it's cheap, um, you know, maybe it falls apart or it makes for a, a less than satisfactory experience for the student that's trying to do a good job. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's like, do you blame the the retail store for putting it out there? Do you blame the manufacturer for making it? Or do you blame the parent for not being informed to understand the difference in the point of that particular instrument. You know, oftentimes yeah, I think right. like if you're, if you're signing your kid up to be in band and all that kind of stuff, like, yeah, maybe Walmart isn't the best place to do it. And at that point, maybe it's not the parent's fault. Maybe it is the manufacturer's fault for allowing the retailer to, to position the product in the store a certain way. Cause that's the thing that they, they work out. You know, how are you going to put our product in your store? What's the position going to be? How are you going to market it? All of that stuff is part of their conversation. So they have a role in that, too. So I don't know who to really blame. But, um, (laughs) you know, I I think it's good for certain things and I think it's bad for others. So I don't really know. I feel that. And, oh, man, I feel like the Facebook world, just everyone assumes everyone's angry to like 10 out of 10 (laughs) all the time. It's just like. (laughs) The mu- the music for every one side of me wants to say, yeah, go out and buy. It's just an instrument. Like more instruments are better. And then the person that's had to do like beginning band is like, oh no, I don't want to do that because you know it's harder to teach and they're probably not going to be as successful. But then the cost efficient side of me is like, well, I'm saving money. And it's just like there's not a black and white uh, well, answer. That was the point I was going to say. It doesn't seem like they're really doesn't have to be blame on any point, especially working up here. And Brandon, you can probably remember being up in Colorado now that, like, I, I've worked with several programs up here. I got to the point where I assumed you live in northern Colorado, you're rich. <laughs> um, I've been working with a couple of programs that are struggling. There's definitely families out here that are struggling just like anybody else financially. And, you know, we've like I'm working with Boomer Music Company on this part-time up here. Um, and one of the big things they do is uh, they, uh, they do a lot of instrument repairs. 
And so we get a lot of those instruments that are like, you know, the cheap store-bought instrument or the Craigslist instrument that was sold for like 50 bucks. And uh, we, it's easy to kind of chastise those people and say, well, what, why didn't you do your research? Why wouldn't you go out and spend like more money on a quality instrument? And it's like, maybe that's what they had to get that kid in the program. Well, yeah. I mean, for a lot of people, that's the only opportunity to get a trumpet in their hand. So, mm-hmm. you know, and it brings them but, into the store and then they realize, hey, we have like instrument rental programs. They, how would they have known that beforehand? You know, they come in, bring their yeah. $50 trumpet, costs like $300 to repair. And it's just like, all right, well, we can get you a Yamaha student trumpet for like $18 a month. Uh, and you can rent till you own it. And it's, you know, so there's options yeah. out there for people. They just, not always accessible or noticeable but but the other thing too is rental programs as great as they are and how how the price is lowered um you know a lot of people they receive checks in a very particular season Mm -hmm. or whatever their job happens to be they see a a big boost in their income for like a minute you know what i mean like they do a specific job they get a a ton of money and then they hoard it or they go buy other things that are more meaningful. So it, what I'm getting at is they don't have the 18 bucks for 12 months a year. They have the $50 for that one moment that they can go out and get it. You know, because okay. people aren't seeing long term. I mean, so many people are living check to check. So they do. They see month to month. And when they see an additional 18 on top of that, it's like, no, can't do it. Oh, yeah. So. So that's why some of that stuff, you know, it could be helpful to a lot more people, but, uh, you know, it, it doesn't capture everybody's attention. For sure. All right. All right, Brandon. So I'm not going to yeah. say you're the social media guru of the percussion world, but that is a slight reason why we contacted you. Cause you, <laughs> you seem to be no, you seem to be doing fine and you know what you're doing. Um, so we, we, I mean, we had quite a few questions regarding it, um, just because sure. we, we know you probably have um, the safest or the best answer. Uh, but one was, how can effective, keyword, how can effective social media impact the job market um, as someone looking for a job or the market itself? Well... You know, obviously it depends on what you're trying to do. If you're a composer, you're trying to uh, get commissions, you're trying to sell stuff you've already written, you're trying to maybe get a residency at a program, you're uh, whatever. There's the objectives change depending on whatever your position is. Um, but basically, social media, I mean, the whole purpose for doing it is simply to get the attention of whoever you're trying to make do a thing, you know? So if it's, if you're trying to get somebody to buy something, you're trying to get the attention of the end user, which would be the customer to go buy it. If you're a band director and you're trying to raise money to go to Macy's, uh, you know, you're not trying to sell a product, but you're trying to raise money. So maybe that's not a kid or a parent, but maybe that's community leaders and local business owners. And so the way that you take your knowledge in your head of band and you position it in such a way to say like, what's the benefit of a Macy's appearance not just for the band program, not for the school, but also the community, which is the same community that your Taco Bell's in. So, you know, spinning the message in a way to get somebody to understand that. Um, and, it, you know, the thing, too, is to establish expertise in that thing. So, uh, you know, just putting regular content out there 
talking about your values, your vision, um, your knowledge, educating, inspiring, motivating, informing, all of those kind of things, wrapping that up into some social media, like photos, videos, and print. Um, yeah. I, is that clear enough, hopefully? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about, um, I feel like the bulk of the people that listen to us are future, it seems to be mostly future educators, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so that means current college students? Current college students, uh, yep. upper high school, uh, early grad programs. But we are wondering about, um, yeah, I feel like the dynamic has changed so much. Like when we, Chris and I were undergrads, the theme was like, you got to keep your social media like, very pure and very like avoid anything that might be jarring like don't argue don't post anything yeah. only post like and it right feels because now, a lot of yeah. times people think that their employers and probably rightfully so their employers one of the first things they might do is go to your instagram or your facebook and be like cool what were you doing eight years ago you know i look at kevin hart just got well he right. took himself out of the job for stuff he said just a handful of years ago um, and you know, it's one of the, whatever your view is on it, sad, or it's a good thing. It's just one of those things where it's like the things that, uh, you said or did in the past come back to haunt you at a later date, even if you're not that same person in the future, you know? So that's sure. why, that's why, um, it can be kind of a scary thing to put yourself out there, but it's still a necessary thing, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there any platform I mean, there's so many now. I mean, I guess the big three are, or big four are Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And I feel like Snapchat's kind of in there, but it's like a different, a different thing. Uh, is there anything that seems the most active or most engaging for like our arts and music community? So Instagram is coming up with that, you know, is, you know, your podcast and you two are on there creating your own personal content away from the podcast you have things like mount lab and Gridbook series and all these other things adam tan doing this stuff with the studio um you know there's like a grassroots kind of thing that's sort of evolving and it's growing more and more every year uh but facebook is still i think the number one in our community uh because professors on down to parents and college students and high school some high school students are still involved there um yeah, I think most of the activity that I do, the most uh, views and that kind of thing come from Facebook. Just that seems to be where most of our community is still living. You know, I'm 31. I would have just gotten a job and had a job. I mean, I see Chris Butler was on the broadcast on Instagram. I don't know if he's still there, but he's had his gig in Southern Illinois for like four years now, maybe. Um so I guess what I'm getting at is like, so if he was like 38-ish and you retire maybe somewhere around 60, it's like halfway through a career, not really even halfway through a career. Um, yeah, it's still a good. What I'm getting at is a good portion of the people that still have influence and in the gatekeepers of our community and the people that are driving what we do, um, they're the older folks and they're on Facebook. That's what I'm getting at. But what's what's interesting is Every day, people like ourselves are getting older. We're moving into those positions of influence. Um, and because we're on Instagram, because people like us are on Snapchat and this kind of thing, those that's going to give rise to those platforms to be important. So that's why I do a lot of the stuff on Instagram, because 
I prefer to go to where the puck is going and not where the puck is today because by the time I get there, it's too late. And I feel like most people are going to where the puck is today and not where it's going. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I, uh, yeah, I just I'm sorry. You go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Yours is probably more related. Uh, <laughs> just thinking about it, it's like it seems like we're always we being the music community. It just seems like everything is always very late. We adopt things after the rest of society has moved on. You know, everybody else has been hanging out on YouTube, Snapchat, Instagram as their entertainment source, their information source um, for years at this point. And just now, are we seeing people, uh, I think I saw, was it Brian Zader put something up? I saw Josh Smith put up a vibraphone solo this morning. I'm just seeing some of the, the other people that have kind of had gigs for a while they're just now starting to put stuff out there. And I think it's great that they're doing it. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing at all. I'm just, you know, just looking at it. It's like, well, wonder what that would, what that would have been like if that started uh, 10 years ago. 10 years ago, Facebook was already four years old. Mm-hmm. You know? So whenever it becomes at, like, scale in a music community, making content specifically for the internet, we're going to be 15 years too late. Right. And it's already going to be time to move on to the next thing. So, yeah. uh, you know, rather than always doing the old thing, because, you know, we're in a tradition heavy kind of industry. You know, we're always looking backwards. We're always looking to the older people in the community for direction because that's what they did. We want to follow in their footsteps. And, it, you know, I've done it and everybody else has probably done it to some extent. But I think in certain ways we have to start understanding that the rest of society is uh, going through a youthification of everything. The music that you hear at a basketball game is not the music of the old people. It's the music of the young people. Uh, You know, like culture in general is just moving towards what are young people doing and then the old people move towards that. But our industry is still somewhat the other way. It's what are the older classic members of our community doing and let's go do that and then we go oh oh, but we got to do this other thing now it's like yeah it's too late now Hmm. yeah i feel like i just got on instagram well i've been on it for like i don't know a long time but i really finally started using it in the past like year and a half Uh, so what what made you do that i'm curious uh and surprisingly enough it was seeing chris post stuff from Instagram to Facebook um, or like the screenshot of whatever was shared or seeing other people doing it. And it was simply like, Oh, a lot of people are looking at that and Oh look, yeah. Like this company like liked it or tagged it or like shared it and stuff like that. So it was mostly out of self preservation, I guess is the best word. Um, Right. uh, But now that I'm doing it, I'm just, I enjoy looking at the pictures more. Uh, this seems like a very elementary school thing to say, but I really like, I don't know. Is there something about like you get the quick picture, you get info and it's like easy to understand really fast. And I don't always have time to sit down and read like a full blog post. Um, right. Things like that. Yeah. That's interesting. Cool. Yeah. I don't know see, if anyone else. But. Well, see, there's kind of the, the example Right. Like you're on Facebook forever because that's where everybody's been. That's where everything seems to be happening. 
Then very slowly but surely, you start noticing this word Instagram showing up in all these links. And you knew what Instagram was, but you didn't know that it was a thing that maybe you should be on. But then you start seeing it enough from other people that are meaningful to you, and it influences you to be part of it. So, but invert that and say, all right, cool, this is new. I need to be on it because it is new. The early movers are going to be the ones that end up winning stuff. You know what I mean? Because that's fertile ground where nobody else is doing something. You have the chance to be the standout personality on that platform. But if you wait for everybody to move together, then nobody's going to stand out. For sure. I mean, you look at like early YouTube, you know, there's the Casey and Pius videos from 10 plus years back. And it's just like, yeah, they kind of like, I feel like that really helped them to be kind of the forefront of Mm -hmm. YouTube profession. Well, the same for Brad Meyer. I mean, I think Brad Meyer was the first person that ever really like in bulk put stuff out there, at least that I saw. Uh, I feel like I've always kind of paid attention to these platforms. So um, like, I feel like I'm a decent gauge at this stuff, you know what I mean? And I just feel like I saw Brad stuff for years. I knew Brad in my undergrad because he was a master's student at South Carolina when I was an undergrad there. Um, And that's about the same time that he was doing this, 10 years ago, 2008, 2000. No, it was earlier than that, 2006, 2007 is when he was on campus, I think. So, yeah, I mean, people know Brad Meyer largely because they go to YouTube and they're like, hey, I want to see Morning Dove Sonnet. And here's Brad's video because he's got 11,000 views or whatever simply because it's been there forever. You know? So that's what I mean by being early and being able to stand out. Like Brad put those videos up before I think you could even tag stuff on YouTube. But now you can tag stuff so that, you know, it gets associated with certain types of content and that kind of thing. But his rises to the top often because the popularity of the views. So be early. 45. Sorry. I'm up, so I'm looking through Brad Meyer's YouTube. I sorted by uh-huh. oldest. I'm up to about five times. I'm, he's got over 250 videos. Right. Which is insane. That's so much music. I mean, some of it's his students as well. But still, that's... That only started I'm, more recently for him, I think, was documenting and putting the students on there. Yeah. I mean, most of this stuff is just him. And it's just yeah. Like, man, yeah, that guy has videos. I, I do remember that though. In our when we were in undergrad, because I remember every time we would research a piece that we wanted to play for solo or ensemble, he would pop up. Like he was always the one. And I remember us having the conversation of like, how many videos is this guy putting up? And it was still coming up like almost weekly that he had like high quality performance videos showing up. And, uh, yeah, I was trying yeah. to think about what year that was. It, was, it had to have been like 2009, 2010 that we started noticing that. And he'd been doing yeah. it sooner than that, so yeah. But I think there's something else that has to be noted is people love Brad's videos not because he was early and because he did a lot of them and because he did, played a lot of popular music, but he's also a badass player. Yeah. And that's the other part that has to matter is you, it, just because you're there and you're doing something doesn't mean that people are going to care. Right. You know, it. musicians hate it seems like most musicians hate bringing business terms and market terms into this stuff, but it is what it is. And it's basically a market, you know what I mean? Of eyeballs. And so what do you want to look at? You want to look at stuff that sucks or that's good. People want to look at things that are good, things that, you know, and good is subjective of course, but um, 
as a collective whole, we could all kind of agree on what a standard basis of good might be and what bad might be. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. So I think he rises to the top because he's a great player and because he's early and because he played a lot of stuff and because he didn't just play a lot of stuff, but it's stuff that other people enjoy too. So there's a lot of strategy, I think, to that. I don't know if he necessarily went into it with that strategy, um, but that is kind of how it ended up being. Actually tagged into one of our later questions we had written down. Um, I'm really, I feel self-conscious isn't the right word. I feel uh-huh. a little nervous about this one sometimes because I've unfollowed <laughs> or unfriended people, um, the content of quality content versus spam. And sometimes people put out pretty good stuff, but it's like, okay, I've seen enough of X, Y, and Z. What are you calling spam? Yeah, spam's not really the right word, but basically oversaturation, I think, would be a better term. Like you're pushing the product so much that um like if you posted into every single facebook group and then mm. you share it on instagram or i wake up every morning with six to yeah. seven notifications from the same person has posted yep well this is the uh i mean it's it's the right move but that would have been the move like 10 years ago mm-hmm. i don't even know if we had groups i don't even think we had groups 10 years ago in facebook but you know it's the right move because they're trying to get the attention of people in the place where they are so that's the right move but it's a bad move because all it is is black and white sales you haven't done anything for those people all you did was ask them to buy something um which we're moving and we're not moving we've been in a a state of you sell because you brand yourself you don't sell because you sell so you sell because you're the expert. You sell because you've positioned yourself in a, as a certain thing. Um, you know, I like to think oftentimes of like Nike. A lot of people, when it comes to like sneakers and that kind of culture, you don't cross it up. You know, you don't buy Reeboks. Oh, and then you go buy Nikes. It's like there's a certain brand because that brand stands for something that you represent. And so... Uh, I think maybe even a more relevant version of that would be CD sales or cassette sales or record sales. You know, if Drake comes out with a new album, you're going to just go buy the album because you like Drake. You bought the album before you even know what the product is. You don't even know if you like a single song on there, but you went and you spent your $17. So that's brand positions you in a certain way and aligns you with a certain type of customer and that does the sales for you rather than just coming out and saying hey buy my album you know what i mean right yeah i feel like from a this might just be a composer point of view um yeah i feel like branding is it can be so tedious um because you got to get the video up and then you put it out there and then like lots of people like it and there's a lot of encouragement and then sales just kind of trickle in, and then like two years later they start to pick up, and it's like a slow burn that just takes a long time. Yeah, but I also find that most composers that I've seen come across my feed, they wait until they have some piece to push, and then they put the piece out there. So they're putting the piece out there and then saying, hey, buy this. But there's a reason that Casey Cangelosi is so popular. It's because Casey doesn't ask you to go buy his stuff. Casey just posts videos of him playing. 
and it's like that's the brand you know you can call that inspiration if you like musical inspiration you could also call it uh motivation i mean I, I don't know i've seen countless concerts of great performers where i watch it and i'm done watching the performance and i'm like oh god I'm, i gotta get the practice room inspires that you know what i mean right. uh, yeah. so anyway like whatever direction you want to call that content um a lot of people think that that's bragging I've had conversations with people over a lot of years that have said, you know, I don't understand why people post this stuff. It, like, stop. You're just bragging. Why are you trying to put that out there? And it's like, it's not bragging. It's documenting. And that's the difference. It's showing what you're doing. I mean, you know, if you sat at home and you turned all the lights off and you put a spotlight on your snare drum and, you know, you do these certain things and you take a video of it and you put it up. Well, that actually happened. You know, like, so anyway, um, that's, that's branding, you know, Casey and Pius doing these funny videos back and forth. It's branding. Um, whether you think it's funny or not, like you see it, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. out there, but it also positions them a certain way as kind of goofy and fun. But then whenever you go watch their videos, you're like, holy cow, they're good for sure. And yeah. you know, it just kind of changes. Yeah. So it's a very certain kind of audience that enjoys that kind of thing, and that's what they're playing into. And um, yeah, again, it's branding and aligning yourself to something else. Um, a lot of people that have music festivals and seminars, they put videos out there, and all they ever do is say, sign up for our thing. Now, you know, they get confused because they have signups. But at the same time, it's like, cool, you got 30 people to come to your festival. What's wrong with 300 coming to your festival because you branded yourself rather than sold yourself and really made it a big deal? Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah. That's smart. So, you know, most people are, they go for the short-term economics of stuff. They want the quick and easy dollar. Uh, that's kind of how business has often been done and always been done for that matter. Um you know, at the end of the day, there's a bottom line of did you make a profit or did you not make a profit? And that's what people seem to care about. As musicians, it's hard because we we want to be doing our art. We don't want to be bogged down with like video editing and shots and lighting and gear and like, oh my God, what is Premiere Pro? I don't even know how to even start with that. What's a microphone? Like what's an XLR cable? Like there's just so many other things to the production side of this that people just get overwhelmed and they're like, yeah. I don't see a need for any of this because I I do one or two clinics a semester. I've got an artist endorsement or five or two or whatever. Um, heck, I've got my name on a drumstick or I teach at a drum corps. You know, people are they're seeing success without these things at, at a certain level. And they think that, you know, they've arrived. And if you have, then cool. I, I'm not trying to push anything, any sort of specific agenda. Um, I'm just saying that it could be useful for certain people that are into it. Um, you know, if you're doing the things that you like and you have that self-awareness that you're happy, then do that. Um, yeah, you know, I, I felt myself for years, like going crazy, trying to make ends meet and pay bills, doing the things that are considered to be the uh, the elite things, if you want to put it that way, or not really the elite things, but um, you know the things everybody wants to do. Everybody wants to teach a drum corps somehow, 
like most people look up to uh, college professors. So, you know, I did that and whatever, like a lot of people want to go teach drumline and they want to write for drumline and they want to do these things and go give clinics and whatever. And it's like, I was checking all those boxes doing it, but I wasn't having much fun with a lot of that. And what it comes down to is doing things for your happiness versus somebody else's happiness, you know? And there's so much pressure. I think there's so much like narrow thinking in um in the music world like it's either teaching or playing that's the only way you can participate in music and it's like that's not simply not true um you know what's wrong with being an ar rep that has a background in music and you still perform your instrument in solo recitals like sure maybe your nine to five desk job is to go do something for a products company but after that you know like anyway I hope I'm making myself clear as far as some of this stuff goes, but yeah, it reminded me of uh, Drew Warden. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's if anyone doesn't know, he's in um, big trouble with uh, Ivan Trevino. They have a group. Uh, it's like pop meets percussion, but he's now working at is it Berkeley or somewhere in Boston? He's like an I'm not sure. He's in some sort of um, what do you call it? Not a dean, but he's like a person that administrator works for, or some sort yeah some sort of in yeah some sort of admin job but yeah mm-hmm. he still does all this cool stuff um on the side as well oh he is assistant dean of entrepreneurial musicianship at nec that's cool that's, good, that's a good gig yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing to scoff at for sure um, yeah i'd take that um yeah i like the are you a teacher or are you a player argument because it's like well you kind of you kind of got to be a lot of hats right now. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like at one point I was literally doing everything. Teaching college, drum corps, performing solo recitals, clinics, teaching youth orchestra, playing in an orchestra, uh, doing outreach programs, writing music, doing this kind of like <laughs> almost every hat that you could wear. I feel like I was wearing at the same time. And then you look at it and you're, I was looking at it and I was like, holy crap, like this is a lot. It's a lot of fun, but it's not paying like most of these things aren't paying bills. A lot of these things aren't paying anything. And so it's like for what? Like to look good or to put it on a resume like that doesn't, you know, at a certain point, like that doesn't mean much. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. If you're not having fun because the financial like instability or whatever like chris you even said you pointed to yourself saying like paycheck to paycheck right like that's that is a real life for musicians um even when you're in school or whenever you get out of school for so many people that's real life and that's why you see a lot of people leave music altogether they don't play anymore they don't teach do anything with an instrument they go into insurance or something else Hmm. because at the end of the day we're all human beings trying to survive eat food and have shelter and a family and water, you know, like it gets very real pretty quick whenever you get out of school. When you're in school, it's easy to have blinders. You got federal loans that you haven't even started paying back yet. You know, it's kind of a cushy gig being in school. You get out and the real world kicks your butt. It will. It will most definitely do that. (laughs) So I guess at the end of the day, it's like that's what I think the value of doing a lot of this stuff is. Um, before the internet, you were kind of limited to the word of mouth that other people would give you in the community. You were limited by the gatekeepers that, uh, 
were it uh, journals or you know television or you know some sort of radio play as a musician uh, but now everybody is their own media company and it's in your back pocket and your cell phone you just go take video pictures and written word and put it out on the platforms for free that you don't even have to pay for and magically you get noticed i didn't know casey cangelosi until i started seeing videos right you know and now casey's a household name in the percussion community so not just because of that but all the same things i said about about brad it's like just because you posted doesn't mean people are going to care it's about what you're posting the time you're posting are you actually good at what you do you know what I mean? Like, what's your? I think the true intent for your post comes out. A lot of people do it just to do it, and that falls to the wayside because people can kind of sense that all you did was post that just to post it. You know, so understanding the value of what you're trying to give people, I think that's the biggest thing. Often people say they aren't quite sure what to post. Well, you have to understand this isn't about you. It's not about me when I post. It's not about you guys when you post, but it's about the viewers, your audience. And so understanding, okay, what am I trying, who am I trying to get the attention of and what do they value and how can I provide that to them? So in the earlier conversation, I said something about band directors or somebody maybe doing some fundraising if you're a nonprofit, whoever. You have to understand that you're probably talking about uh, high net worth individuals at a business or something local or maybe regional or national. And so they want to know specific things. They want to know certain things about the music thing. You know, these are mostly people that maybe played an instrument when they were young, but they quit, got in the corporate world, made a lot of money. And now they look back and go, yeah, I used to play violin. That was a lot of fun. So they still have an appreciation for that. Uh, for the music that they were involved in and they want to give. And so you're now it's up to you and your social media platform to put the value out there of why choose you. And it's not sales, it's all branding. Documenting what you do at your nonprofit in your band program, showing the events day in, day out, documenting what's actually happening in the room so that you build up enough equity with those people that you can turn around when you actually need them and say, hey, we need you to buy. A really good example of that would be public television or public radio. So NPR is free to listen to. It has no incoming money except for donors, as far as I understand. And, you know, that comes in different forms of legacy donors and all sorts of stuff. But it's donations that run those broadcasts. So. NPR doesn't make you buy NPR and then you get the radio. You get to listen to the programming for months and months and months. And then for a one week out of every quarter, every two quarters, whatever it is, you have a fun drive, right? Where they sit there and they, they basically guilt you into buying. Hey, we gave you fresh air for like months. You didn't listen to a single commercial. You didn't have to listen about Tide Pods. You didn't have to do any of that crap. You just listen to fresh air and then you listen to Ira Glass and you listen to all these things. And for one week, every three, four months, we ask you to give us 50 bucks. And so it's a very clear line between the branding, which is the programming that you get to just listen to, and the sales, which is that three, four, five day period of asking you to buy something in return. And, and that's also kind of an important point is musicians are bad about 
making very very uh, direct lines in the sand. We try to blend branding and sales into one where we're like, here, we're going to give this to you. And then we put our website at the bottom. And it's like you just killed it because you put your website in the bottom. You ask them by putting your URL at the bottom of a, a video, you're asking people to do something for you, which is to come visit your website. What you really wanted to do is just post the video and leave it there. You're trying to entertain or inform or whatever your the point is. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah I think so, so. So, yeah, anyway, just always thinking about the end user. Like, who, like, what are you trying to make happen? Are you trying to raise money, get a gig, get more writing gigs? Are you trying to teach something or whatever? As soon as you understand that, then figure out who is your audience for that. Then understand what value you can bring to them to persuade them to do whatever you want them to do. Hmm. And then put the content out there for free. Don't ask them for anything. And then basically all you're doing by doing that for free and not asking for any money up front. Like if you're fundraising, it makes sense to sit there and just ask to fundraise, right? Like, sure, at some point you have to ask. But I think it starts with just. awareness and then later on go in for the very specific and direct ask does that make sense yeah yes. i think musicians we blur that stuff far too much and that's why sales don't really come in hmm. yeah well, then, i know that was a little bit of a rant <laughs> no it's good it's, it's rants are good <laughs> so to kind of tie into that then my question would be what what's your what's your thoughts on the directions of like personal page versus artist pages. Like I, I know several people that do one or the other. Like you think like we talked with, uh, uh, who did we talk with about that? Oh, I blanked out really hard. <laughs> but you know, like Some, there's like there's- Is it with Cameron maybe? Yeah, Cameron Leach has got his, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Cameron Leach has got the, like the artist page he's talked about. Yep. Um, and I think about like the stuff that I post. And I, I admittedly i'll have streaks where i'll be like i'm really serious about what i'm posting and then there's other times where it's like look at my cat it's wearing a sweater um, <laughs> or then you know, 90 percent of the time it's some way to like off to the side trash talk caleb for no reason but like um i like i mean obviously there's some success to the people that have done it right and there's some like some other people that haven't found it just yet i think of like like talking about branding with artist pages and stuff i always think of uh, uh drew tucker like, he was, like, one of the first, like, impactful ones to me. Uh, like, I found the, it's not a xylophone thing before I even knew of him. And I was seeing the post of his, like, you know, playing, his teaching and everything. And I just got, like, like I, I fangirled hard for, like, a solid couple mm -hmm. of <laughs> for what he was doing. But uh, I was just wondering what your thoughts would be between the two balancing. Yeah, that one's kind of hard for me sometimes, to be honest with you. Um, like, Drew does a really good job at just, he has actually two instagram accounts yeah. i'm not going to say what one of them is just in case he doesn't want people to know it's more of a private personal one for friends and family but then he also has it's not a xylophone which is more focused heavily on the professional career that he has um if you dissect what drew is doing a little bit he's showing his girls on there playing on his vibraphone uh in his stories he's showing dropping them off to school picking them up from school uh going to disney world you know being a dad so he shows the being a dad he shows the touring the world performing and teaching um he does like you know the 
live videos with people sometimes. Uh, also shows some of the Mallet Lab stuff on his It's Not a Xylophone account. Um, yeah. So if you look at that, he's choosing to, to show very specific sides of himself to share a variety of context of him. Um, so by showing dad, by showing touring, by showing teaching at Boca Raton, by showing the videos of the students, you know, you're getting to see a pretty good uh, look, a holistic view of who Drew, who Drew Tucker is. You know what I mean? Um, you have other people that... Um, you know, maybe it's strategic, maybe it's not. But yeah, they do show a lot of cat videos or whatever it might be. They show less music in more context of their normal everyday kind of life. I think a lot of that is whatever you're comfortable with. You know, I think what it comes down to is there's no right or wrong, really. It's whatever you're comfortable with. It's whatever you want to show. But again, it's not about you. It's about what is your point of doing this? Um, you know, Drew does it a lot. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I would imagine that he's doing it for gigs. I mean, I do a lot with Marching Health, as you guys may or may not know. Yep. Uh, we crossed over the 10,000 followers mark back in October, I think. Um, and we did a thing with Drew, a contest to see who would hit the 10K mark together. Um, so I think a lot of that is for him to get gigs also, um, you know, just to put it out there about the vibraphone and kind of teach you about the instrument. But I think some of it too is to show what it's like to be a professional and what it's like to be a dad and balance that work life kind of balance stuff. You know what I mean? So I think that maybe those are some of his pillar tenets to what he's trying to show. Uh, I think there, I think whenever you see a lot of like cat kind of videos and stuff, a lot of that is like, I don't know what to share. So here it is. I don't know. Chris, would you agree if you're one of those cat video people? I don't think I feel like that. Cat videos. I, I, or you know what I mean? Yeah, I I go to, yeah, but I, I do know several people that it does seem like they just kind of post to post. And admittedly, I don't think I ever expect to get anything out of my social media. I've never taken it that serious. I've had times where it's like, oh, this is just kind of a personal thing, and other times where I'm like, I'm just not going to share anything personal at all. And it's admittedly just for my own entertainment for myself. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I I definitely can see and agree where you're talking about, like like where just like pitching the whole idea of your product, like your design, whatever you're trying to push out there, and the consistency seems to be the biggest key between the people I've seen that are successful and the people that I've seen that kind of get there or kind of don't. And, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. As far as the artist page to personal page, um, that one, that's still a little bit tricky to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, like Cameron Leach has both. Um, oftentimes I see him sharing, he'll go to his personal account and then share his artist page posts to the personal account that way it comes up in your feed a little bit more now i have i think i like him on like his artist page on facebook which should give me a notification that he's posted something um if i look at my own behavior when people post from a a group i don't usually look at it 
and I'm a I'm kind of in there. <laughs> like yeah. I feel like I do social media all day all all day long and um you know if that's my behavior as somebody that's in it I would imagine that that's a behavior of a lot of other people that they ignore groups. You know what I mean? I think it's like notifications we get a billion of them all the time and I don't know how many people are really looking at every notification to see what they all are because notifications are yet another feed. It's a feed to tell you about your feed. And it's like, yeah, this is kind of ridiculous. I'm just going to go refresh the news feed and see what's there. And so by saying all of that, I think, well, I know that Facebook is actually starting to favor groups a little bit because they're trying to create more community. Um, but a group is not the same thing as a fan page or an artist page. Uh, they're actually not favoring pages right now because every business in the world has a page and they're trying to do a little bit less with the uh, the retail business kind of thing in your feed and they want it to be more human social relationships. And so they're actually encouraging businesses to have a group because the group is then made up of human beings and then the group will show up in your feed more. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. yeah. So I think you know, understanding the platform, what Facebook is actually promoting and not promoting is part of the game as well. And right now it seems to be do it on your personal profile, you know? Um, the, the tricky thing with that sometimes is like you try to make it professional and then, uh, you know, family members hop on or something like that. <laughs> it is like... <laughs> It's like you don't necessarily need to be jumping on this. I'm trying to do something professional right now. You know what I mean? So I feel, I feel that. Yeah. <laughs> but it is. But we're such a small, tight knit community of of musicians that like we're not all running out there. I mean, right now, Chris, do you have an artist page? No. Okay, Caleb, do you have one? No. Okay. So exactly. So that's the point. It's like everybody knows about each other because of your personal profile and that that it's it's the same thing to me as having a website today i have a website that you talked about in the beginning mm -hmm. but if you go through there and look i i don't really update on a regular basis part of that is my time commitment to clients and paying bills <laughs> um you know the the website content the blog stuff is more or less just for fun and whenever i have time to pump something out um but Anytime that I put it there, I'm also copying a lot of that stuff and putting it in my personal page or my personal account on Facebook, just simply because it's the same thing. It's about providing value to people first before you can expect them to, to do something for you. So that means I need to give them the link and the information of my, my content before I can expect them to come to my website at some point. You know what I mean? Um, so the same thing kind of with artist pages. You're asking somebody to leave their feed to go to your artist page. Most people just don't want to leave. They're on their feed to see what's on their feed. I came here to do this. I don't want to go over there to do that. Does I that make sense? Noticed, I first noticed that a whole lot with posting videos. And mm -hmm. I would share uh, the YouTube link into Facebook, which you can play it through there. But most of the time, open up in a new tab. Yep. And then I found if I share it to YouTube, just so it's like the hard copies there, but I upload it to Facebook on its own, the views will like triple. 
yeah, native posting is extremely important. This is why, you know, the shortcuts that Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook have for each other. You can go in Twitter and you can, um, I think you can tweet some. No, I'm wrong. What I'm thinking of is Instagram to Twitter. You can post to Instagram and you can set it up so that it automatically shares your link to your Instagram post on Twitter. But if you go look at what that actually looks like on Twitter, it's just a blue link. Nobody ever clicks that thing because it makes you go to Instagram to view it. Well, I'm on Twitter. I didn't come to Inst- I didn't come to Twitter to go to Instagram. Right. So this is why it's important to respect the platforms and the things that the psychology of the users want. So when I'm on Twitter, I expect to see Twittery things, memes, fun little things, you know, whatever. Uh, links um, to see links are even a bad one too, because that's still that's asking somebody to leave. But if you could just somehow find a way to put your content in a way that respects the platform, uh, that's always the best way to do it. So rather than putting a blog post on my own website, what I should be doing is just taking that same post and just putting it on Facebook and putting it on LinkedIn as well. I think LinkedIn is undervalued right now, but I think it's going to blow up because more and more people are thinking more in a business kind of way. But, I just want LinkedIn yeah. to either be a thing or not be a thing. Oh, it's, it's been a huge this- thing. Oh, LinkedIn is, is massive yeah, in the business it. world. Wow. It's the Facebook of the business world. But people don't really post. It's all about text over there right now. Like videos, not really. Photos, maybe. The photo generally backs up the text. So it's kind of a, a not I don't want to call it a newspaper, but it kind of is. I mean, people go over there to read long form. They don't mind reading eight paragraphs about something. Right. So this is this is kind of the the deal. It's like if you make let me give a good example. So Right now, we're recording this Skype video between the three of us. I'm going to take this video, which is going to end up being over well over an hour at this point. We're an hour and seven minutes. I'm going to edit out maybe nothing because I think authenticity is a big deal. So showing the beginning banter and figuring out Instagram Live is important. Maybe I'll throw in a title or something like that. We'll see how I end up wanting to do it. But I'm going to put it on YouTube in this long-form format so anybody that wants to can go to my like repository and see all the long-form stuff. Mm-hmm. Then I might even share this entire video to Facebook because Facebook is a good place to see long-form video as well. The other thing I can do is I can extract out, if we think about, say, Instagram, Instagram wall posts are 60 seconds or less. Actually, that's not true. It's three seconds to thir- to 60 seconds. So I'm going to extract out some sort of thing that we said in here that's a golden bit of information. Maybe it's 18 seconds long. So I'm going to extract that 18 seconds out of this long form, cut it down beginning and end, maybe put some music under it, put some captions in there because it's, it's like 92% of people that watch videos on Instagram, watch videos and read captions and don't listen to videos because they're sitting in a bathroom or a meeting or something like that where they can't listen. So captions are important. So then I'm just going to go to my wall. I'm going to give it a caption at the bottom in text form that kind of summarizes the point of what that at 13 seconds is. And then I'm going to post it. 
And so now everybody can see 13 seconds of great piece of information. They can read the captions as it goes under as we speak. And then they can read my long form kind of summary of what they're about to watch and why it's important. And then I'm going to do that like eight times to this video and find eight to like 20 different micro pieces that I can extract out. And then if I wanted to, I could really, I could drive, Instagram stories are actually a good place to drive somewhere else. Uh, especially if you have the swipe up, which I don't. You got to have 10,000 followers or more to be able to swipe up to send them to another URL. Um, but what I could do is I could extract out yet another 15 seconds. So this is a much quicker piece of content. You know what I mean? Um, take 15 seconds out of this long form video. And then I could encourage people like, hey, go to my link in bio if you want to see the rest of this. Does that kind of make sense? So yeah. you kind of preempt it, get people that might be interested in seeing this. You tell them what to do next with a call to action. Tell them to go to your link. You have to actually change your link URL to go to sp that specific piece of content. Hmm. Twitter, Twitter, you could actually probably get away with taking that URL from YouTube and putting it in there. But, you know, most people don't go to Twitter to go to you to YouTube. So I wouldn't do that. <laughs> You could take a screenshot of what we're doing here. Maybe there's like a funny screenshot that I could find and put it, make it a meme, <laughs> which would make sense for Twitter. Yeah. You know, make a GIF out of it if there's like something funny that we did. Nice. So does that kind of make sense, that little game plan for that stuff? Yeah, that's good. It reminds me of... It takes forever to do, but it's... It like works. The undergraduate, there's always an undergraduate, either music tech or business course. And I always get so freaking fed up with seeing the assignments they give because it's like build a website and they'll spend like a month learning. And so it's like, what? They're like idiot proof now. You go on <laughs> Weebly or Squarespace and it like walks you. You can I built my website myself and it works fine. Like I didn't need anyone to help me. You just go and you like follow the instructions or they'll do like, you know, how to make your online Google Docs actually like your online CV thing. It's like, what? It's just uploading files. Like, I wish they would teach more like how to use different sites or content or how to do some of the things you're talking about. I just saw that one of my alma maters, which I guess, I don't know, for this sake, will remain nameless, but people could figure it out. <laughs> There's only three days. <laughs> Started a uh, entrepreneurship degree program for music so it would be music performance with like an emphasis in entrepreneurship or something like that and reading the description now i don't know how much of the curriculum they've actually hammered out uh, but i would imagine that if you're going to propose this to a dean and try to get this through all the the red tape of academia you probably got all the curriculum ha hammered out you know anyway so as i understand it they're going to do a lot of stuff with um like website kind of work um you know i want to try to find this but i'm not going to unfortunately <laughs> with the way that skype is set up right now uh oh can you see me oh yep all good sorry i muted myself okay i don't know why but the video is frozen for me oh weird um yeah come on skype figure it out <laughs> i'm gonna leave it just like that um anyway so what i'm getting at is like it's it's stuff that should have been done years ago not starting 
this fall. Right. Um, yeah, and I think you're right, too. It's like there are certain things that are being taught. I understand, and yes, I think a website can be valuable, but to make an entire course on how to build a website, I think, is silly because you do have things that are drag and drop, and it builds it in two seconds for you. So that conversation shouldn't be about how to design the website necessarily, but maybe more of um, what's the purpose of the site in the 2019 world. Can you guys still hear me and see me? Yeah, oh, good. Yeah, it's fine yeah. on our end. Everything's frozen and like the recording is frozen or something here. That's funny. My Instagram video is frozen. It's still on from like an hour back. With Chris Butler just joined. I, I can't really oh, wow. I oh, weird. say that everything in life just hurts right now. So maybe that's similar. We need a <laughs> class on how to problem solve these issues. If I would have had a course. <laughs> I'm Later. trying to stop this. I hope it actually saves. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's just keep chatting. So awesome. it'll either work or it won't. I hope it does. Um, but we at least have the audio from you. But um, yeah. So a lot of the things, you know, red tape in colleges, that's part of the problem. Um, the fact that the people that are putting these things together are often uh, very business oriented or very college musician oriented and they don't they haven't really had a past that crosses both in a real meaningful way like what they're trying to teach their students that that's kind of an interesting thing to me uh does that make sense what i'm saying yeah like, for sure like the music schools bring in business-minded people and it's like well that's great but do they have a music background enough to really cross into the music world and try to make it um useful there so anyway yeah this is driving me nuts i'm just looking at a frozen picture of caleb it's yeah, not a bad photo though it's, me. it's okay oh that's good yeah can you Isn't see it? me yeah, yeah you're fine you're oh, moving around good. like it's all normal cool yeah. all right um yeah what were we talking about <laughs> man something about something about websites i don't know who knows anymore? Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I feel like I've seen here at JMU, they have to do a, the undergrads, some, uh, I can't remember which ones, have to do a project where a big portion is building a website and just like, oh man, there's so much cooler stuff y'all could have done. Like websites are just so easy to make now. Yeah. I mean, it would be so easy. It's like, cool, you should have a bio, maybe a media area, maybe a blog and an events. Cool. All right, I'll just drag and drop it in Wix or Squarespace and be done with it. There's nothing yeah, else to talk about. Yeah. So, so. Uh, one kind of, this might be kind of a closing question, sort of, because it kind of recaps. We're being uh -huh. good, we're good, good musicians. We're recapping the material from the beginning. Um, so, as far as the future goes, we talked about being like where the puck is going, not where it is. Do you have any insights or thoughts on like maybe in the next five years, like where we're going to be or what should we be looking towards? Is YouTube dying? Is Facebook going to go away, et cetera? You know, it's kind of an interesting time right now for Facebook, as we can see that there's whole movements of stay off of Facebook for a day or delete Facebook. Is it uh, a hashtag that has kind of been living on Twitter for months at this point? Um there's famous people leaving Facebook and all that kind of stuff. 
sometimes I wonder if it's going to end up like MySpace, how everybody used to be on MySpace, and then magically they left. But they left because there was something else to go to, and that thing was Facebook. Right. And we don't really have a replacement for Facebook. Um, I I don't think it's going to go anywhere because I think so. it's so ingrained in our, our culture at this point for communication. Um, whether it's with friends and family on like serious stuff, whether it's medical stuff or like life things, or if it's just for fun or if it's for learning or whatever it might be. But I think it's just so ingrained in us. Um, and Facebook is, you know, some people think like, well, what do we need Facebook for? We have Instagram, we have Twitter and Snapchat and LinkedIn, stuff like that. But the behaviors that exist on those platforms right now and what you can share on those platforms is often very different than what you can do on Facebook. LinkedIn is most similar because um, it's got a very similar looking feed. Uh, you could share links natively or um, you know, take a YouTube URL and put it in there and it can take you to YouTube and stuff like that. So LinkedIn and Facebook are probably the most similar uh, as far as like a UI, UX and how you use it. Um, but I think because there's what, 2 billion people, 3 billion people on earth that use this every day, <laughs> literally that many active users every day. Um, I don't think it's going to disappear. I think the only thing that we're going to do and what we are doing right now uh, is forcing transparency in the way that they do certain things. Uh, we're finally going to see the regulation, I think, of social media in a more responsible way uh, with oversight by political leaders and stuff like that to make sure that Russian, Russian hacking doesn't happen anymore to make sure that, I don't know if you heard in the last couple of days, but Facebook apparently... Uh, any private chats that you had, they actually were sharing that with business leaders so they could see what you were actually speaking about. Even though they told you it was encrypted and that they couldn't see it, they could and they were sharing it. It's not that they could just see it and they left alone, but they actually did something with it. Yeah. So that's the problem. I think a lot of people cite privacy issues and say, you know, oh my gosh, we have all these breaches on the internet, whether it's PayPal or Target or any of these kind of major companies that, you know, user information gets out there, which none of us ever know what that really means. When you see something that says like Target got breached and 35 million users information was probably shared. Like 35 million Target shoppers didn't magically just quit going to, char to Target. They keep going. We never got information about what was shared. And even if you knew... I don't think you really care that much because everything is about convenience of time and saving time at this point. Um, yeah. So anyway, I don't really know, <laughs> but I can, I could just say that I don't think anything's really going anywhere. Uh, Snapchat, if anything is probably going to be the one on the periphery that, you know, slightly goes away. There's another thing called TikTok. Have you guys heard of TikTok? I've seen ads on youtube pop up i've never really toyed mm. with it or anything so it used to be called musically it was called musically for like two or three years oh. um and then it started to drop really quickly in the in stock and everything else and popularity like musically started and it's basically still the same thing as far as i can tell it's it's kind of a lip-syncing app you open it up you can find a song and then you lip sync and make videos over top of it. Um, 
the first iteration of that was people would literally do that. They would lip sync the words of the song in the video. And then what they started figuring out was you don't have to actually lip sync anything. You could just use that as background music and make videos of whatever content you want. So it could be you as an athlete. You know what I mean? Like we've all seen videos of um, even like what we do at Marching Health. Um, it's Elliot Cleveland talking something physical and we just put some background music in it to make it interesting and that's what people are doing now so it's not really lip syncing service anymore now it's just kind of a quick way to put background music into whatever kind of video content you want um so anyway they changed the name rebranded it's called tiktok um it's in the top 50 apps in the app store right now so go download it and check that out this is what i'm talking about being early you know one of the the easiest things for everybody to do is to every morning wake up, if you have an iPhone especially, uh, or if you have Google Play and Android, open up your uh, your app store, go scroll down because it's not at the top anymore. Now it's towards the bottom. But go find the list, the categories of, let me see if I can find this very quickly. You can scroll down, scroll down, and it shows popular and holly jolly, whatever, top free. You want to go where it says top free, see all, and it shows you the top 100 free apps in the App Store. And if you open this up every single day and you just pay attention to the ones that you think might be relative, uh, relevant to music, if we look at it right now, it's YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, Messenger, Amazon, TikTok is number six. Facebook's number eight. Twitter is somewhere way down in like the 20s, 25. So anyway, if... This is kind of the way to figure out what's next is what I'm getting at. Just sit here, open up this list every single day, pay attention to what's the social networking site that that's appearing on here or something that's relevant to a music something. And then every single day you're going to start seeing the same names. Um, you know, TikTok was a thing that it started out at zero one day, right? It started out as an idea. Then somebody had to load it into the app store and get it approved as a developer. And then it, and then it started to take off, and then it got into the 100s, and it sat at 100 for a few days, and then it became 98, and then 96, and then 95, and then 42, and then, you know, now it's number six. And so if you just watch these things climb, you can. This is real-time free data for you to figure out what people are using. Hmm. So if you just pay attention to what's music-related, uh, social media-related, and it gets on your radar because of this. Sign up for a free account and just dig in. Figure out what's going on. You don't even have to really post anything yet. You can just observe what the early other people are doing. Sure. And then this... if you want to, you start posting and seeing what works, what maybe doesn't work. And so you sort of test it all out. And then magically one day you're going to be walking around and you're going to see somebody talking about this. Or you're going to hear on the radio somebody says, yeah, and go check us out on TikTok. Or you're going to show up to, you know what I mean? You just start noticing it happening around you in society and the conversations that you're having. And then you notice, oh, this must be something. Because now even that person knows about this. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's how I found out about uh, Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R. Oh, Um, I use Anchor all the time, yep. Yeah, I'm kind of, again, I'm kind of late to the game with it, but I learned about it through app store and that's what we distribute our podcast audio with because it basically goes out gets the i guess the licensure to send it to all the different yeah. streaming yeah it's, yep. I mean, it's great it's a great um great service yeah that's the thing is 
Um, I think another thing to point out as far as trends is concerned is voice, especially for our space. I think voice is a really, really important thing. Uh, everybody at this point has something that's either got Siri, Alexa, or what's her name? The other one for Android. I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> we have uh, or, and Google or Assistant. Or like, what is it? Cortana, oh, right? Oh, Cortana. Yeah. Yeah. So we have all these virtual assistants now built into stuff. We're we're going to start seeing more and more of the thing that they call the Internet of Things. You guys know what the Internet of Things is? I don't think so. So the Internet of Things is basically the smartification of everyday things around you. So that's like the I mean they even have this now at like Home Depot and Lowe's. They have smart ovens that you could just sit there and you could be in your kitchen and say, "Hey, uh I don't know, whatever it is. It's like, hey, Google, tell the oven to preheat to 400 degrees. And your Google Home that's over here then communicates to the oven to preheat at 400 degrees. Does that make sense? So that you you can be in the middle of doing something else in your kitchen, cutting something up, and using your voice, you can tell the oven what to do. Or you can tell the microwave what to do. Or this is all the stuff that people talk about with Amazon and say like, hey, Hey Siri, order more milk. And then it magic in my phone. <laughs> <is getting awful. laughs> and then it and then it just orders more milk. But that's kind of the other interesting thing in the marketing world is because the smartification of these objects, uh, you have stuff like your Google Home that's sitting at home, and say if you're out of toothpaste, you can say, Hey Google, order more toothpaste. And well, actually, it wouldn't be on Google. I would say it's probably going to be Alexa first because of Amazon. So you would say, hey, Alexa, order more toothpaste. And magically in the background, because your credit card information's in there, Alexa is going to order your Crest whitening toothpaste, and then it shows up to your door the next day. Or because they keep moving faster and faster, it'll show up within the next hour. And so the marketing play for that is you want to be the, the toothpaste that they buy. Whenever you say, hey, Alexa, buy toothpaste, well, there's a billion brands of toothpaste. Which one do I buy? Well, now they're going to start charging marketers to be the toothpaste that they that gets purchased whenever you, you say that. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. That's cool. Yeah, but it's it's a crazy time. But the thing that matters for us, I know I'm talking about ovens and toothpaste, but all I'm getting at is these are going to be more and more popular behaviors for everybody for your grandma for your mom for our kids and everything and so because voice and speaking to objects is going to be a thing we're also going to enjoy listening to more things and we all we're on a podcast right now so the thing that makes podcasts interesting and popular is you can multitask it's passive consumption i can cut the grass i can do anything drive my car is the most popular thing (laughs) I can drive my car and listen to a podcast at the same time. And so more and more people, more and more podcasts are showing up. Even the radio stations, if you paid attention at all, iHeartRadio and Cumulus stations are actually, they have their own apps. And they even have an iHeartRadio podcast award show that's coming up. So the radio is killing itself. It's actually kind of an interesting thing here in Lexington. There's a really popular morning show called the Kid Craddock Morning Show. It's based out of Dallas, Texas. And so it used to be aired here. And then magically last Monday, people tuned in to listen, and it wasn't there. They were just playing music. 
And so everybody was hitting up the radio station. Hey, what's going on? And the radio station said, well, we, we decided to change. And we thought that maybe we should bring on something more local and that that would bring in more listens. And so, of course, everybody is like up in arms because the popular radio show is gone. And so everybody's threatening, like, I'm not going to listen to your radio program anymore. But the interesting thing about that is the Kid Craddock radio show doesn't have a slump in ratings. It's been pretty consistent for years. But what does have a slump is the amount of listeners. And that's different. It's a great show that just doesn't have as many people listening. But the interesting part about that is Cumulus, who is the uh, company, the media company that puts the show on or broadcasts here in Lexington, Cumulus decided that because there are less people listening to Kid Craddock, that must be it, mean it's not good. So we need to change. But the problem is Cumulus is also airing commercials encouraging you to listen to their app and to listen to the podcasts on that app. And they're airing this during the Kid Craddock spot. So what they're essentially doing is encouraging their audience to stop listening to the radio they're listening to and go to the app and listen to a podcast. Am I being clear on what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So they're encouraging their audience to leave. And then they're looking at the audience like, well, where are you going? <laughs> and then they're making business decisions on that, thinking that the audience is just leaving. And it's like, you guys are crazy. You just told them to go listen to the podcast. They're listening to you, and now you're mad at them. And you decided that the people that are actually sticking around, your core audience that decided not to go to the podcast that still wants to be on your radio station, now you've upset them. So now who do you think you're serving? There's nobody left. So the radio is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff going on around us that if you open your eyes and pay attention to these things, there's a, a lot that's really changing and a lot of it will impact us. Um, but that's the thing. It's like it's going to impact the music world is going to make a shift because of these things happening today. But it's going to happen in years from now. So yeah. the better thing is just to be early. And I think what's going to end up happening is because people like us are out here speaking about this. We're bringing awareness to this behavior and this problem, and we're going to perhaps correct it over years. So anyway, I think podcasts are a big deal. I think if you're somebody that is actively seeking um, opportunities in any way, if you want a gig, if you want to sell a product, if you want more students, if you want money for something, if you want to sell CDs or whatever it might be, Social media is the best way to get attention. You're not reliant on just the people next door to you and their word of mouth and hoping that they have something good to say and that they'll actually speak for you. You're not just, it's not just a geography thing anymore. I mean, social media, there's, there could be 8 billion people that have uh, the ability to see your content. And so what better way to discover new opportunities for collaborations you know, you put your stuff out. If you're into something really, really wacky and you think that there's nobody in the world that's into that like you, I think you'd be shocked if you started putting it on social how many people would actually pay attention to it. And, you know, it'll lead to new opportunities that you wouldn't have had otherwise because it's like, well, not everybody in Lexington, Kentucky is into like, I don't know, shaking bags of coins and maybe that's my thing. But maybe because I put that on social media, I find another coin shaker in another part of the world. And we can coin shake together and make opportunities. Am I making some sense? <laughs> yeah, coin like shakers this, unite. Yeah, <laughs> like a stupid thing. I don't know why I said coin shakers. But, 
yeah. So anyway, it's just a way to get attention for whatever you're trying to do. And um, I think in this kind of volatile moment, uh, it's more important than ever. I mean, one of the things, this is a completely different rabbit hole. And remember, I can't see you guys. So if you're like looking at me doing anything, I have no idea. Chris, <laughs> I'm just kind of... middle, Chris has been giving you the middle finger for like 20 minutes. He's just okay. like, he's, he's <laughs> over it. I think it's that's great though, right. but Chris, Chris said nothing good. So that's about right. No, <laughs> um, no, keep, keep going. You're great. Now, another rabbit hole would be like, and this is one where I have no answers. This is, this is something that um, I did a panel discussion at PASIC this year and it was about college curriculum. And is it time to like revamp stuff and even revamp where we put the curriculum? And it was my question. I'm out on the, on the education committee. It was my proposal. Uh, I was, I was grateful that uh, the people in the committee decided that I should be on the panel. I mean, I sat next to Casey and Jim Campbell and other people and uh, it was Eric Willie and Matt wire and then myself and so, you know, I just kind of sat back listening because I wanted to see what they had to say about this stuff. And um, they went kind of a traditional route. And I didn't want to be too much of a crazy person like speaking about social media. So I kind of shut up for a lot of it. But um, something that's interesting to me is that when I like if I open up Spotify right now, anything that has concert instruments in it is going to be a playlist that I put together and I had to go seek out. But if I go in there and I go, um, you know, to the front of Spotify or whatever, it's going to show me mostly music that is, you know, pop music, it's commercial instruments. So something that's fascinating to me is why in a 2019 world are we featuring and pushing these instruments in K through 12 education music rooms that haven't been relevant in decades and then we wonder, like, why don't students really want to be involved in some of these band programs? Why do we have to go and beg the seventh graders to be in the marching band because numbers are down? Why do we have to explain to our neighbors what a drum corps is? And then have to, like, explain what a, a xylophone is, that a xylophone's not a, a bell kit and that a bell kit's not a xylophone. You know what I mean? It's like the world is spinning. These instruments that we're pushing in K through 12 are becoming less relevant. They're not familiar to the students that are playing them. Now, obviously, as they start getting their hands on them, they grow appreciation for it. Maybe they had an older brother or their mom plays or something like that. So there's other cases. But anyway, it, it coincides with this idea of not just teaching STEM education, but teaching STEAM education and including the arts as part of um, as being like a pillar in what should happen in the classroom and public education. And so if we're pushing arts to be a major role as much as math and education in uh, English and science, um, then I think we need to find opportunities and ways to engage more students. And the best way to engage them is, I think, to go where they are and not try to bring them where we are. This is the exact same thing I said about websites and social media, right? You put the content where the people are. Because that's where they want to be, and that's what they're actually going to pay attention to. Most people are going to write off that link to go to your website. The same deal with with this kind of concept. Most people write off being in the band. People make fun of being in band. There's plenty of movies and quotes about being in band, being nerdy, and everything else, right? And it gets that because most people don't associate or don't um, they don't have any sort of connection to the instruments or the 
this style. So it doesn't quite make sense to keep pushing that if we're also trying to say more people should be involved in the arts. Am I making some sense? For yeah. sure. Yeah. Like, I just don't know why we don't embrace commercial music and, and acknowledge that it is actually music and that there is relevance there and that it's meaningful. And yeah, I mean, I, I just wonder what a music or what a, uh, what a school would look like if it actually embraced this stuff more. Like I understand concert instruments. You, you can park a hundred students in a room to one teacher. I get that. I understand that if you were to say like, cool, let's just make a bunch of recording studios where students can go record hip hop or songwrite or play guitar or whatever, like becomes a logistical issue. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that I don't have really worked out in my head, how it would like practically work out. You know what I mean? But I think, but I, I don't know. This is what I mean. I don't have answers for stuff. I just have a lot of questions. Like, why do we do some of these things? Um, and I'm just trying to bring attention to it, trying to talk to a, a number of different people to get their their insight and their opinions uh, to help me kind of conclude my own thoughts. So what do you guys think about that? Like, what would be the argument for keeping concert instruments as a primary focus in every school? And let me add a let me add one little tidbit. I'm not saying every school should like nix concert programs. I think that's kind of the misconception that some people have when I speak about this. I just mean it doesn't quite make sense to me that in almost every community that I've ever been to, that that's the focus. I've been to plenty of schools where it's like they're hurting for numbers. They got a thousand kids in school and like 20 in band. And it's like, well, maybe there's a reason for that, you know? And in moments like that, it wouldn't be appropriate. Maybe that's where the commercial thing comes in. It reminds me of this is actually last night. I saw this meme on Facebook from the group. It's something along the lines of music art music memes for Wagner hating teens or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) But it had this picture of this guy. I think he was fighting himself, but it was just like me defending classical music. And then the other one was me attacking classical music. And I feel like I fall into that where like, I'm like, yeah, we need more. We need more. But then on the next day, I'm like, no, we need to have like more pop music. Cause I'm a big, I mean, I play a lot of pop music and that's been a big portion of my Mm-hmm. career for sure um but yeah it's one of those things it reminds me of the easiest one that i can make an analogy to is like mariachi like uh-huh. in texas there's obviously a large hispanic population um and in some areas like i know i have a buddy that teaches in garland which is in the north texas dallas area but it's at a lower socioeconomic school that has a lot of hispanic students and the band program there is not great but they started mariachi and now it's quite good. And now from that, they got a jazz band because it's like, OK, we're having fun with this thing. So maybe it's almost like um, in somewhat similar instruments in some cases. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's similar things. Um, but then you have people from there. It branches off to like, OK, they played, you know, violin and mariachi. And now they're like, oh, I want to keep playing violin. Well, what's this orchestra thing? And then I feel like, OK, if they're not enrolling in classical music. Like maybe, okay, maybe you got to get the chip off your shoulder to put it bluntly and like maybe you should teach, you know, the music that they are more into. And maybe that is a gateway into other things, not not necessarily better things, but other things like they already know about pop music. And now you can explore that. And then from there, maybe we go into like the Drew Warden uh, 
Trevino Big Trouble, where they're playing pop mm-hmm. music on classical percussion instruments. Um, that's kind of where I sit on it. I'm, as again, I have more questions than I do plausible solutions. Well, that's going to be my response, too. Is I mean, it's, it's similar to what you said earlier about going to where the audience is uh, to start. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, we'd love to see the classical instruments stay strong in the classes and stuff, and we can entrench ourselves and say that we need to, like, we need to demand the expectation that the classical music scene needs to be a primary focus. But, I mean, and I, I hate this expression, you can leave the horse to water, but you can't make it drink kind of thing. It's like, that's that's the great point to make. It's like, you know, maybe start where they are interested, you know, like what, like starting with like the pop music or the mariachi music or anything like that, just to get them some kind of development and interest in music and in the instruments. And then once that interest is built, maybe there's a bridge that can be built towards other styles, other genres, other venues to keep it moving. But if we keep sitting there and saying like, you know, you need to you need to learn oboe and you need to play, you know, this music that we've been playing for like 100 plus years and keep doing that, you know, I mean, eventually people just get tired of it and people quit. I mean, it's, I mean, again, yeah, I don't think there is like a real answer in my mind either, but. I, I I do agree with the whole like meet like meet them halfway or even start where they are and try to bring them over. Yeah, I often think that that's the same approach that could be adopted perhaps in just general curriculum. Um, we see a lot of behavior issues happening in classrooms. You know, there's viral videos of kids jumping on a teacher's desk and slapping the teacher in the face, like just unbelievable behavior. And I don't think it's you know, there's obviously tons of reasons for some of these things that are happening, but um, we see this sort of like general attack on education in a lot of ways right now. Uh, we see people attacking public education specifically, saying that public education is failing the students. And in a lot of ways, um, I might agree with portions of that conversation simply because I think that administrators and the people of power have a lot of them have not been in an actual classroom in a long time to really know the dynamic of what's going on um but they're also pushing things that should work because this is what has worked in the past and you know maybe we've been too too aggressive and too progressive with the things we've tried so maybe we need to take a step back it's like a lot of it is the testing issue you know, teachers are being forced to just give answers rather than lead questions. Um, you know, that's actually, I spoke to some high school students just the other day. I was sitting at Starbucks and it was funny. They were sitting, um, I was sitting there working and then in the door came a, a member of the House of Representatives for the Commonwealth of Kentucky, followed by a, a bunch of high school kids. And I could hear them in the corner talking about stuff. And they're actually talking, I don't want to go down a different rabbit hole, but they're talking about lowering the voting age in Kentucky to 16. And he wanted, they were like his focus group. And so they were talking about this stuff. And as I I started talking to some of them whenever they were done speaking with him. And they were saying that, you know, they wish that they had more autonomy and more uh, opportunity for discovery and more promotion of curiosity from the teachers in the classroom where they were being led to the answers rather than just given the answers. And I think we all have seen that in our, in some way, maybe coming up through school um, where it used to be like teachers were nothing but like the gutters 
or the guides or whatever in the bowling alley. They're just trying to keep the ball moving down that way rather than just trying to put the ball, you know, in the pins, if that analogy makes any sense at all. But um, I think it's kind of the same thing for a general curriculum as well, that whole like meeting them where they are. I think it's funny, all the different environments, the different communities uh, in the city, out in the middle of horse farms, wherever it might be, they're all learning the same kind of things because we have this like adopted idea of standards and what a student should be learning. And to me, it comes down to more simplistic ideas that it's not necessarily the content that should be taught, but it's just the appreciation of the subject that should be taught. Um, especially in a world that we have today where everybody just simply goes to Google to fill in the gaps. Um, you know, everything has been about content so far. I mean, it's just about like learning what the area of a triangle is like memorize this thing. That's the content rather than the idea of pushing that you should just care about geometry in general, like geometry is a thing. Here's why it could be important to the things that you actually care about. Um, and so using the culture of the community that the students are actually in as a jumping off point to teach the appreciation of the subject using that culture. And then once the students have an appreciation and understanding for the value of history or math or whatever, then you start injecting your agenda with the other content. Does that sort of make sense? Yeah, I think so. Um, sure. And obviously, I mean, there's plenty of communities that that's not appropriate that you know they're in a place where students have had parents that are highly educated they've gone to private schools since they were four and so they understand the value of these things and they don't need that kind of stuff but i think there's a lot of communities i've been in where the students just don't you know the age-old question of like when am i ever going to use this this would prevent that question because you would have answered that question like when do I need to know this specific math problem? Yeah, you probably don't. But when do you need to know math in like the things that you're interested in? You know, whatever. I hope I'm being clear with some of this stuff. But um, right. I just like my problem anymore is like I'm in the middle of talking, but my brain is also thinking and having its own conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I get distracted with like my internal conversation that you know i forget what the heck i just said so i'm hoping i'm being clear <laughs> no it's uh, good yeah do the same thing it's it's it can be scary but yeah. um anyway, yeah lots man. of rabbit holes here yeah there's <laughs> yeah we could we could go on for the rest of the day i feel like plus a probably week. my um, wife and my child would not appreciate that yeah, yeah. <laughs> and probably yeah, neither would the listeners too much nah, oh, i don't know <laughs> i don't i don't know um, but yeah. Well, yeah, dude, thanks for hanging out. If anybody yep. doesn't know, a little side plug uh, for a project Brandon and I are involved in, uh, beatbox.com. Uh, Adam Hopper talked about that when he was on here. It's a project that he's leading. Uh, so if you join Beatbox, it's a subscription-based uh, percussion music service where you subscribe and you get a certain amount of downloads per month. It's pretty cool. Um, he's launching it in January. Uh, but if you join in the month of January or February, you get a free download of Adam's new piece, Heard That, for a snare drum. If you learn the piece, upload it to Instagram, tag the beatbox site, beat underscore box, B-A-C-H-S. Um, then someone's going to win a free marching pad from, actually, 
our it says our friends and also this podcast friends uh over at beetle percussion they seem to come up every single time but why not you get a free piece of music you get to check out some other cool stuff make a nice video learn some rap get a free pad possibly it's a kind of a win-win for everybody yeah but um i think everybody's always trying to look for new rep you know there's sure. a lot of the same rep being played all the time and there's something to be said for for that but also you know everybody's always trying to do something new and unique and stand out too so i think this is a good way to do that yeah definitely excited to see where it goes but um yeah cool. well i appreciate you guys having me on uh did we answer like everything about the social media stuff we kind of went heavy in the philosophy of other stuff um oh man i, I think mean are there other like tactical things I mean, maybe like I could say one tactical thing that please yes people could actually do something rather than just sit here and listen to us yep but like for sure you know always looking to find new people to uh, to engage with on social media like again you have to go to them before they can know who you are so it sounds super easy but this is stuff that um, it takes a long time to do but it's super super useful and uh, effective. So, for example, if you're on Instagram and say you want to grow your following, um, you know, hashtags are useful. Uh, but we're at the point where, like, hashtags are getting close to the billions in some ways. Mm-hmm. We're not really in danger of that as percussionists. We are in the millions now. I think percussionists has, like, 1.5 million uses. So that just means that there's a lot going on there. Um percussionist is 263,000. Anyway, so we're starting to get saturated and what I'm getting at is like hashtags used to be the best way to be discovered on Instagram for people that don't know who you are to figure out who you are. Uh, because we're starting to get saturated there that's becoming less and less useful. So the best way to do it is simply go up to the search bar in Instagram. Uh, you can go to these hashtags. So like for example, you open up Instagram, tap search, cursor starts blinking type in a relevant word to the percussion world or whatever it is that you're trying to connect with so maybe you type in the word percussion or percussionist and then you're going to see all the different posts that populate that people that you would assume are percussionists have posted click on every single one of those posts and engage with the person that posted it if that makes sense but because the people that are commenting on the posts are probably percussionists as well, you can also leave comments on those posts. You can send DMs to people that are posting on there. It's also a good way to curate and find new... Um, how do I want to say this? So you go to one of these posts, and then you see comments. Engage with the people that left comments as well. I think that's the best way to say what I'm saying. Um, you know, It's time-consuming. Everybody wants to be practicing or playing Fortnite or whatever it is people do these days. Um, but if you really wanted to like go deep and have meaningful relationships with people and really uh, be able to get gigs, be able to actually sell music, be able to actually teach drum corps and these things, you have to actually have good relationships and meaningful relationships. Not just that people know who you are, but that people know who you are and they know your dog's name and they know your favorite food because like, you just talk like human beings, if that makes sense. So this is the best way to find those people and then to just start the conversation and start the relationship with them. So uh, hopefully it's all clear in what I just spelled out. 
the funny thing that I'm noticing here in the last hour of not being able to see you guys is the value of seeing the person that you're talking to. <laughs> <laughs> like that's kind of the weird thing about being on the phone anymore. It's like you can't see that person. So there's a lot of context that's left out. I can't right. see if you guys have been rolling your eyes, if you've had me on mute and you went and make a sandwich or like, I don't know what's happening over there. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I keep saying like, I hope I'm being clear because usually if you're clear, people are nodding or you yeah, see the glazed I, eyes, I, you know I, what I mean? I eventually I'm not noticed it when we were, I don't know. yeah, when we were nodding and I was just like, oh, that's right. He can't see us. Yeah, <laughs> man. Crazy. Anyway. I'm going to stop yapping at you guys. <laughs> no, it's good stuff, man. Cool. Well, dude, thanks for hanging out. And we'll um, we'll be sure to, yeah, get this posted. Do what you do. We'll, I think we'll just let you take the lead on this one, and we'll probably steal some of your secrets, see if we can't figure out how to do this a little better. Cool. Well, I hope that I get the video. Is, like I said, it froze at an hour and 12 minutes, and we've been talking for just over two hours. So I don't know if I'm going to get a single second in this video or not unfortunately um but at least we have the audio from you for sure yeah so the cool thing from the audio is like you could sit there and put um waveforms and stuff to it and post oh, that in your nice. stories that makes it a little more interesting but a little visual anyway yeah there's stuff we can do to salvage this right. <laughs> anyway i appreciate the time and uh, the opportunity to chat with you guys yeah thank yeah, you yeah dude yeah thanks for hanging Cool. Well, You're we'll welcome. catch everybody else next time on, I believe, episode 13. Cool. See ya. That is fun. Yeah.